It is good to be with you all this morning and welcome if you are visiting, we are so glad you are here. Maybe you are new to this congregation and also new to this area. For the visitors, you should know that I am also new here. I started at this congregation on August 1st and I came from Boston where I had lived for the past six years. But I've lived all over the US, including in the Twin Cities for one year during my internship. And the first year in a congregation is learning and getting to know the congregation. Therefore, this fall, I have been studying Midwest culture. <laughs> I'm wondering what's behind your laugh right now. <laughs> Maybe you can tell me later. When I first started in August, I quickly became aware of some cultural differences in the way that I do things and the norms for Midwest culture. For example, I am very direct. This is not a typical trait found in Midwest culture. Therefore, in the weeks leading up to this Sunday, I wondered if this was a cultural mismatch, this idea of bring a friend Sunday. I wondered if asking a friend to come would be too direct for some people and too uncomfortable, a little too close to evangelizing maybe. So for those of you who did make that ask, thank you for leaning into that discomfort. And for those of you who came as a result of someone asking you, you get extra gold stars today. And don't worry, I'm not going to make you rise. But just know that you are welcome in this place. You are welcome in this community. I am new too. We can get to know this congregation together. Unitarian Universalism is a faith that grew out of Christianity, but today it is non-credal and is based on covenant. What this means is we don't tell you what to believe, but we are all spiritual seekers. But the covenant piece means that we make promises about how we want to be together, who we want to be, and the world that we want to help bring into being. A world focused on justice, a world where all are worthy and treated as such, a world with love at the center. Our shared values of interdependence, justice, pluralism, transformation, generosity, and equity guide who we are as a denomination and how our congregations do church. There are many who make their way to our congregations as adults, either because someone invited them or they took the online quiz on belief.net titled, What Religion Are You? <laughs> I first became a Unitarian Universalist 15 years ago when that aforementioned online quiz told me I was 99% Unitarian Universalist. And as I've said before, the first time I entered a UU congregation, I felt like I had come home. I saw symbols of the world religions on their walls and a pride flag in the corner, and I knew that I was welcome there. Maybe some of you felt that when you would see our signs that are in the windows in the social hall. I knew I wouldn't be told what to believe, and I came to find that the theological concept of universalism that all are already saved or that God is too good to damn us to resonate. Our theme this month is, oh, mystery. It's okay, it's all right. 
Our, th our theme this month is a mystery. Um, our theme this month is mystery, the practice of cultivating stillness. And as we are in Advent season in this time of mystery, we have an opportunity to explore our own theology, who God is to each of us and our own spiritual practices. Advent is an invitation to recommit to spiritual practices within the mystery of the divine, however that shows up in your life. This month, you are invited to find ways that you can cultivate stillness, whether it be sitting in front of a Christmas tree. Something is rattling. I have no idea what it is, but we're just going to let that mystery be. So this month, you're invited to find ways you can cultivate stillness, whether it be sitting in front of a Christmas tree, a menorah, or in front of your window watching the snowfall. So many rituals around the holidays are done because it's the way we've always done them. But my hope for you today is that in learning a little bit about our history, it will give you a deeper appreciation of these rituals, whether you celebrate Christmas or not. So today I invite you on a brief historical journey to explore our denomination's connection to Christmas, specifically how we celebrate Christmas here in the United States. Basically, we are the reason for the season looking the way it does, in the good ways, not the capitalist ways, but a little bit of capitalist ways. So let's go back to 17th century England. At that time, the time of Advent was a time of fasting. It was a time of contemplation, culminating in the 24th of December, Christmas Eve, when one was expected to fast all day. They broke their fast on Christmas Day by going to church and having huge feasts often and then continuing to feast for the next 12 days until Epiphany, which is where the song 12 Days of Christmas comes from, which we will be singing next week. Sometimes these feasts got a little ruckus and got out of hand. It said that people of lower socioeconomic status would go into wealthy people's homes and steal people's food just so they could have feasts themselves. Sometimes wealthy people would invite people of lower socioeconomic status into their homes and feed them. Often lots of game playing and drinking followed Christmas Day and it was known to be a little rowdy, shall we say. According to historian, the UU minister, Reverend Susan Ritchie, in colonial America in the 17th century, it was illegal to observe Christmas, at least in Puritan Boston. These pious New England Protestants, as she described them, had a suspicion of what was happening over there in England. They knew there was no biblical precedent for celebrating Jesus's birth on December 25th. And many of them had observed in their home country of England how it got out of hand quite often. And yet, this confluence of things happened in the 19th century that led to the Christmas celebrations as we know them today. So a couple things happened. Number one, in 1818, there will be a test after this, by the way, <laughs> the Unitarian minister of the Congregational Church in Worcester, Massachusetts, Reverend Aaron Bancroft, preached a sermon where he said that Christmas was in line with the values of New England Protestants. He said it doesn't actually matter what day Christ the Savior was actually born, but what matters is that we celebrate his birth and basically that Christmas is as good a day as any. 
Number two, the Universalists hosted the first public religions, religious observance of Christmas in the New World outside of an Episcopal or Catholic Mass in 1789. And in number three, in 1835, the British Unitarian author Harriet Martineau traveled around the United States. She noted certain customs that she found and things she had um, observed. She was writing for a widely read women's periodical. She was secretly an abolitionist. She didn't write about that in the periodical, but she often visited with other abolitionists. And in her chapter on cold weather customs, she noted having a meal in a German immigrant's home and how the parents had brought in a tree put candles and ornaments around it, and then the parents gathered the children around it and dramatically revealed it to them, much to their delight. So she had been scrutinized for her abolitionist views, so she didn't detail who this German immigrant was, but this was Charles Fallen, a Unitarian minister, also an abolitionist, and the minister of Fallen Church in Lexington, Massachusetts. And to this day, Fallen Church has a Christmas tree sale that is in Charles Fallen's memory. So the combination of Elizabeth Martineau publishing this about the Fallen family, bringing the Christmas tree inside, Unitarian and Universalist preachers beginning to embrace celebrating Jesus's birth on the 25th. And lastly, in 1799, Samuel Taylor Coleridge, who was also a Unitarian, published the story of a Christmas custom in Germany in the Christian Register, which was the precursor to the magazine all the members in here receive today, UU World. In Samuel Taylor Coleridge's account, he talked about how he observed these customs in Germany. Children and parents would make presents for each other and place them under the Christmas tree. So basically, we are the reason that Christmas has gone viral. <laughs> These events are the equivalent today of tweeting something or maybe putting it on YouTube. And as this idea of using the Christmas tree to give presents caught on in American households, oftentimes parents would use it to inspire generosity. Sometimes the gifts would be from figures other than the parents, so they wouldn't be seen as spoiling their children, such as the Christ child and eventually Kris Kringle or Santa Claus. But in a lot of Unitarian Christian literature at the time, the children would only receive gifts after being generous to other people. Therefore, I invite you to think about the holiday rituals around your house, that sometimes they become rote, but in reflecting on their history, reflecting on why we do what we do helps us take a moment for memory, for history, and for what it is that keeps us continuing these rituals. And within that, remember that there is still room for mystery. Advent is this time of waiting, waiting for the turning of the year, waiting for those moments when we feel our interdependence, where we feel the presence of the divine. Often for me, that comes on Christmas Eve when the lights are turned off, the candles are lit, and our voices are raised singing Silent Night. As we journey through this month, heading towards winter solstice, know that there are opportunities for you to cultivate stillness, to cultivate quiet, and to cultivate connectedness. Connectedness to your fellow humans, to this planet, to your own theology, 
and the rituals associated with that. And if you are celebrating Hanukkah right now, no, Unitarian Universalists had nothing to do with the rituals <laughs> that Jewish people do to celebrate the miracle of the oil burning for eight days and nights. But we gather here under a wide theological tent and we respect and learn from those theologies. And this year with the war going on in Israel and Palestine right now, in the land where the story of Jesus originated, Jesus who was a Jew, hopelessness and heartbreak are our companions as we hear the stories and we pray for ceasefire. And sometimes that's why rituals are so important to hold us through the heartbreak of living in this world, the heartbreak of fearing for beloveds, the heartbreak of what it is to be human in a world in which evil shows up in the forms of bombs and guns and denial of basic human rights. And so we gather around our trees and we gather around our menorahs and we gather around our people and we see the divine in each other's eyes and we pray for hope we pray for peace and we lament for our heartbreak. There are many reasons to wake up with fear on our hearts. There are many reasons to want to just stay under the covers. That is no mystery this month. And if that's what you need to do and if your life allows for that, maybe that is your spiritual practice. When I was in a time of deep grief, my spiritual practice was a lot of naps. But I want you to remember something this morning. Loneliness is pervasive. And the act of you coming to this place on this morning, or if you are watching online, is you moving towards community, moving towards our interdependence, moving towards others who don't have all the answers, but are in this time of searching with you, this time of waiting, this time of making room for mystery, and this time of letting ourselves be surprised by joy, how and when it shows up. Therefore, if you're visiting today, I hope that you found some comfort here, that you glimpsed a possibility of community here, that you know that you are welcome here. We invite you to keep coming back. Give it a few services, get to know us a little bit. Remember, we can be new together. And if you want to get us know, get to know us deeper, remember there is a membership class today at 1230. See Reverend Jack if you're interested. And if you've been attending for a really long time but haven't signed the membership book, you can also talk to Reverend Jack. There are future opportunities for connection this month coming up, such as Wednesday night, supper and game night, next Sunday's pageant, and the following Thursday, our solstice service at 6.30 p.m. Get to know us as Unitarian Universalists. Come and get to know this faith. I can promise you that we are not perfect, but we are about transformation. The transformation that happens when we come together and say, these are my people. These are who I want to be with as we make our way through the mystery of life, as we search for the divine together, as we explore our history and explore how to make meaning out of this world that breaks our hearts. Our closing hymn today is number 225 in the gray hymnal. 
O come, O come, Emmanuel. So now I'm going to tell a joke because you're half paying attention because you're opening your hymnals. I don't agree with this joke, but it's fitting, okay? There's a joke that says, why can't you use sing? And the answer is because they're reading ahead to see if they agree with the next verse. <laughs> and so as you read ahead on O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, you will see that the words have been changed from the song that you might have sung in your past. This hymn has been sung in many different versions over 1,200 years. The first written version of it showed up in, ninth, in the ninth century in Latin, and it has been translated and translated again. And this current translation is by the Reverend Mark Bellatini. The last verse reads, O come you wisdom from on high, from depths that hide within a sigh, to temper knowledge with our care, to render every act a prayer. Dear ones, may you render every act of prayer this month. May you notice the rituals that you practice around the holidays, explore the history related to them, and make space for mystery and cultivating stillness. One day, one moment at a time. Amen. <laughs>